Hello and welcome to the AMP podcast, the show where we discuss the latest trends, research and insights in the entertainment industry. My name is Richard Broughton. I'm one of the executive directors here at Ampere Analysis and I'll be your host for today. On today's show, we'll be discussing all things fast. That's free ad-supported streaming television. It's the latest buzz in the media and streaming industry. And here to discuss it with me, I have three very special guests. Valeria Motti, Vice President of Fast Channels at Fremantle. Marion Ranchet, the founder of the Local Act Consultancy, which is a streaming and fast-focused consulting firm. And Dan Monaghan, who's an analyst here at Ampere Analysis. Valerio, Marion and Daniel, welcome to the show. You are listening to the AMP podcast from Ampere Analysis. To learn more about Ampere's research and services, head to ampereanalysis.com. First off, I thought it was well worth defining for our audience today. What do we actually mean when we're talking about FAST? There are a whole range of different streaming services in the market at the moment. You've got AVOD services, SVOD services, hybrid so what do we actually mean when we talk about fast and fast channels? Marion, I'm sure you've got some views on this. So you give the definition at the top, right, with the acronym that is free ad-supported streaming TV. And, and I think essentially it's TV. So it's a linear feed. And of course, you know, there's some advertising in the mix. Essentially, the programming was done by a third party. And I think that's a major difference versus AVOD, where you choose to watch something it's entirely up to you within, you know, what the platform has to offer. And I think the term, you've said it, consumers, they don't really know, and I don't think they care. It's really something that we use as an industry. We like to define things, especially new things. But I think essentially it's going to be TV, you know. That makes sense. And Valeria, what, what are some of the services that we would, would that spring to mind when we talk about fast? Who are the companies who are providing fast products to consumers? So I think it depends on what services are we talking about? So I reckon that there are four major players in the fast space. The first player is the content owner, just like Fremantle, the company I work for them. Others, they're like, you know, BBC, ITV, Bunny J, and many others. And those are the companies that create the fast channel. We own the content, we create the channel, we have people, editorial people that program the channel like a proper, you know, linear TV channel and distribute it. The second player is, of course, the platform. So the place where people go to watch these fast channels. So platform can be owned by a CTV like Samsung TV Plus or LG Channels or, or Vizio, or can be platform agnostic like Pluto TV and others. And the third player is the technology. So clearly all of this business model is facilitated by technology partners that allow the creations of the channel and the distribution of the channel towards the platforms. And there are a bunch of players in this area, such as Amagi, Frequency, World, Otter, and others. And finally, we have the, the monetization players because this is, a, this is a, an ad-based service. So nobody pays to watch fast channels. And therefore, to monetize the channels, you need you know, to include advertisement in it. And therefore, a, a very important player of this value chain is, are the monetization companies. Perfect. Well, I think it's probably worth us spending a little bit of time on each of those topics today so we can dive into the ins and outs of how the, the, the fast industry works. Before we get to that, one theme I wanted to pick up on is why does fast exist? Why, why do we need it to exist? The industry as it stands today is quite crowded. We've still got broadcast 
television. We've still got linear channels. We've got subscription streaming services. We've got ad-supported video-on-demand products. Where does Fast come into the market? So Fast originated from the US, right? So you need to take a look at the landscape at the time. And so the company who is said to have you know, innovated in this space is Pluto TV out of Los Angeles in 2014. And I think what they've done is that they were answering one major need is that nothing is free in the US. Essentially, in the US, if you want to have you know, cable television, SVOD, you have to spend over $100 every month, right? So there was a gap in offering a cheaper or a free alternative to cable and SVOD. And it's important to mention that because I think in Europe, the space that FAST will occupy is going to be very different just because there's not that exact same need of free content. There's a lot of free content already. And you've mentioned the broadcaster. I think it's a perfect example of a free ad-supported ecosystem offered to European audiences. The other thing is that FAST really took off during the pandemic. And I think at that time, people were craving for content. And I think at that moment in time, it was a good thing to have the option to do a bit of mix and match, right? And as we'll talk about that with Dan later on, but you know, a lot of surveys are actually pointing to the fact that people watching FAST are actually heavy media viewers overall, right? So it offered, you know, an answer to this paradox of choice, this, the fact that we were overwhelmed. And yeah, it's, it was, you know, nice on the wallet. So just to build on what Marion was saying with the kind of wider shift towards online viewing and the SVOD services in particular, having benefit, benefited from that over the last decade or so. And we've also seen the proliferation of, of these platforms and fragmentation in the market and therefore higher costs, particularly with, like, amongst the SVOD players for consumers, which has led to this tolerance for advertising to make services cheaper or free, which we've seen in our research into the US market. And also with where Fast sits amongst uh, the kind of service library for consumers, we did some analysis around the, the sort of need states that consumers have when they go to watch content on whether it's broadcast TV or SVOD and FAST services. And we found that FAST largely overlaps with, this, with similar need states to broadcast TV viewers. So it meets things like the desire to watch things in the background while, while you're busy doing other things around the house or more lean back uh, decision-free viewing where you want to just sit, sit down and, and choose something that happens to be on rather than facing this decision paralysis, which results from the enormous content libraries of, of SVOD platforms. And so we found that Fast really meets similar needs to broadcast TV. So therefore, as I think Marion mentioned earlier on, it's kind of linear for the streaming age. And also that these need states differ somewhat to what SVOD provides. So where people seek SVOD services more for immersion and other things which the, the high budget, high IP, high quality titles and SVOD services help consumers meet. We see that Fast sit, can sit alongside that as it meets different needs to, to SVOD. But it's similar to broadcast TV. So it it could be that alternative to broadcast TV as the linear portion of a consumer's service libraries, so to speak. So that's really interesting. It seems to be that this general theme that Fast is perfect for that lean back, relaxed environment. We get a fair few questions from some of the companies we talk to about different types of content. So I think when you review the Fast channel market at the moment, there's lots of unscripted content, there's a bit of news content. Um, we get a few questions about, will, will we see really premium content, high-end drama, maybe sports on fast channels in, in the future. 
What, what's your perspective, Marion? Is, are they suitable? Are they the right fit for the platforms? Or, do, or should Fast always really be focused on this sort of lean back experience with lots of unscripted shows? I think at the end of the day, you're not trying to reach one segment with one channel. And you're serving you know, multiple segments when you have a platform that has over 200, 300 channels. But I think there's definitely an interest, you know, across the different genres. I think genres have been, some genres have been slower to embrace fast because they don't feel the needs. Sports is a great example. It is the one segment where, you know, broadcast TV is still the go-to. This is where they're making most of the money by selling rights. And so for them, you know, why get into fast? But what we've seen, especially in Europe, which I think is interesting, is that we're get, we're going faster than the U.S. on that front. We've seen folks like The Zone, FIFA Plus. La Liga coming into the space. So, of course, there's a lot of, you know, archive content, replays, you know, documentary, shoulder programming. But someone like the Tennis Channel, for example, in Germany is actually showcasing, you know, live events. So is the zone with a select set of games, etc. So the days where Fast was only library, you know, very old content, I think it's changing. And, you know, as time goes, the audience is going to be more and more demanding. If they see that this is a place where, you know, they like to hang out, they're going to want to spend more time there. And so you need to have more premium content, who knows, potential, you know, exclusivities, live content as well, a mix of all of that. And I think Fast has changed a lot these last few years. And and maybe, Vario, uh, you can see that from your perspective, right? You're, you're not just putting your old content up there. You're actually putting fresh stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a healthy mix. We have, from from my perspective, we have some channels created with, you know, with library content. One, we have a very successful channel called the Baywatch channel. And clearly Baywatch has been, you know, they stopped producing it quite some time ago. Yet it's super popular because people enjoy watching an IP that they already know. It's, it's some type of comfort zone when they're watching that channel. We, however, have also channels with the latest episode of shows that we produce. So for example, here in the UK, we've got in partnership with Samsung, America Got Talent, and, and also Project Runway, which basically we show also the, the latest, latest shows that are shown in the US, and then we carry it over here, and they go on fast. And they're also very successful. So I think it's important for, for, for a media company, it is important to have a portfolio of channel. In this portfolio, it's important to have single IP channels, genre channels, library channels, as well as channels with more recent content. You know, I, I do believe that having a, a portfolio with different type of channel is very important for uh, the success of a company in the past. I guess you're talking about variety here that obviously different consumers want different things when they're watching TV and Different genres are one example of of how people consume TV in different ways. And just just picking up on something, I think that you touched on, um, Marion. You you reference European groups bringing sports into the fast space. I'm I'm interested to pick up from some of Dan your research into the the market. Who who are the audiences for fast, and what do they what do they want? What do they want to see? You know, do they want sports? Um, is that broadening the audience, or is it serving existing fast audiences? One thing we found in our research of the US market, and this goes back to something I think Marion it was mentioned earlier on that the fast audience group in general is a very avid media consumer, and we've seen that in our research when asking about different content types and different genres of TV show and movie. 
And we found that fast users actually over-index compared to the average consumer for watching every type of content and every genre that we, we asked about. So everything from US movies and TV shows to documentaries, game shows, and then genres from you know, drama and comedy, all of these different types of content fast users watch more frequently than, than the average US consumer. But another thing we found is that they over-index the most for some of the more niche genres and content types. So things like as, as niche as esports or Spanish language content, and then genres such as anime and horror. These were the kind of niche content types which they want to see far more than the average. And just touching on the sport angle, sport wasn't something that actually came to the fore specifically. But one thing we did find is that the existing broadcast TV viewership that haven't yet watched fast and aren't tuning in. Sport is a very hot topic. Okay, it's, it might be difficult for fast platforms to, to purchase the, the very, very high, high ticket properties like the NFL, for example. But we have seen Roku dip their toes in the water recently with Formula E rights. So that could work perhaps for some more niche sports such as Formula E, which don't attract the multi-billion dollar rights values that some of the big properties do. That could be some, some way for those more niche sports to, to experiment with their distribution. I think it's fascinating because when this started, who wanted to get in on it? Very often, folks who were looking to have, well, additional revenue, but, you know, bring in new audiences. Uh, at this point in time, I think they had, you know, a lot of people were saying they had nothing to lose, right? Potentially niche players were, you know, at the forefront of this new business model. And interesting that you're saying that the service says that this is what people like. I, I wonder because what I see from platforms today is that they're looking to go mainstream. Very often I'm being told this is too niche. And so is there a mismatch, right? Is the audience saying that they want this, but the platform see different results and so they want mainstream content, you know, mainstream brands? I think we're still trying to figure out exactly who's watching, what they want. Uh, and also, as often in any business, we don't have a lot of, you know, history or data to back it up. We're making assumptions. And so maybe the assumption lately is that, you know, it has to be big and, and very well-known in order to succeed. But maybe actually the audience is looking to get their hands on things that they don't see anywhere else. And you've mentioned horror, you've mentioned anime. I think that's, I think that's an interesting one. I, I wonder how things will evolve because it's clearly evolving towards more premium, more mainstream is my view. It's, it's an interesting point there because I, I guess one thing I'm thinking when we're talking about some of the platforms that are active in the fast space is that they're, many of them are global or at least multi-market. So what what might be a niche channel in a market like the the UK or France or Spain is is still a niche channel globally, but it has a much larger addressable audience. So it, is it possible for some of those channels to work in a way that they wouldn't have done in on broadcast TV just because of that global reach of some of these platforms? From my perspective, you can't exactly say global for a fast channel for a simple reasons: the language barrier. So you can have a channel and in theory, it can work in, you know, US, Canada, and UK and Australia, right? So these are four big markets and the common denominator is that they all speak English. So you can have a channel and distribute the same channel into these four markets, assuming that, you know, you have the rights in each of these, of those countries. But when you, when you then decide that the same channel has to go to Germany or Italy or France or Spain or, you know, LATAM, Brazil, etc. There is the issue of the, the dubbing and, and the subs. So, you know, uh, countries like France or Italy or Germany, they, they don't really work. You need to have 
a channel in in the local language. And also there's no global platform, right? If you look at Pluto, who's been, you know, in the business for almost 10 years, I think they're in like 35 markets. It's not as global. And one of the reasons being that because the model is financed by advertising, you actually are, you know, dependent on how mature a given advertising market is, right? So if you put all of that together, you have the localization needs, whether that's the type of content, the genres that you're going to tap into, plus the actual localization of the content and all the channel environments. Put on top of that, you know, what's the CTV penetration like? How many platforms are on there? And then layer as well the advertising maturity of the market. You know, there's not that many markets that are actually, you know, winning, winning markets today. It's a really interesting point. So why don't we speak a little bit about monetization of, of FAS? So we, we've already talked about it being ad-supported. That's obviously very similar to a lot of linear broadcast channels, but there are clearly going to be differences in terms of how content is monetized and how the, the model works for both content providers and the channels themselves. Valeria, can I ask you about how your business thinks about FAST's monetization relative to how it thinks about, I guess, traditional broadcast or indeed AVOD or SVOD? Yeah, so it's a very interesting question because the monetization of FAST channels is a very interesting subject. So according to the country, according to the platform, and according to where it actually makes sense, we may decide to to choose a, a different business model to monetize our channels. Sometimes we may decide to, to, to have a license deal. Sometimes we may decide to go on a revenue share deal. With the platform, revenue share means that we create the channels, the platforms monetize the channel, and then we get a share of that money. Or sometimes we may decide to go with an inventory share model, which is we, you know, us in the platform, we divide the inventory and then the platform monetize their own inventory and, and, and Fremantle monetize its own inventory. To monetize the inventory, content owners may decide to use an internal ad sales force. So that means that you have your own ad sales that uh, sells advertisement, either programmatic or direct, or you may decide to go with a third-party ad sales house and let them sell the advertisement for you and then, and then you know, pay them their fee or commission and then get the rest. And we decide which business model we prefer according to the country, to the opportunity, to the platform, and to be honest, where it makes sense. So that, that sounds quite different to the um, classic model of monetizing content that might apply to subscription streaming or AVOD or, or broadcast, which is, I, I suspect, 99% selling the content licensing it, whereas Fast gives you a whole range of different options. Is that, is that fair to say? I agree with you. It's a completely different business model. And is, is that one of the attractions, Marion, thinking about your client base and the companies you work with? Are they looking for alternative ways to monetize their catalogs? And are these partnership models where presumably you, you, there's more risk, but you might see greater upside? Is that, is that what's attracting them to FAST? I think it really depends on who, who you talk to, right? If you look at someone who's already a D2C OTT service, you know, so servicing ESVOT customers, I think the appeal is to have a low barrier, you know, entry points to their service, right? We know how difficult it gets to acquire subscribers. And so putting your brand and some of your content out there, I think it's a great way to build that brand awareness and try to do, you know, as much as possible, this upsell thing, right? So you get a taste. And then if you want the full thing, if you want the ad-free experience, you you sign up. So that's that's one. 
if you look at someone who's really focused on licensing content, I think that what sellers have been saying these last two years is that a few years ago, the streamers, it was, it was this gold rush, right? They were buying tons of content. And so it was fantastic for sellers, right? They were making their numbers with these guys. It was this new venue of, of revenue coming their way. As it goes, these guys are, you know, cherry picking titles. They're focused on producing more than they are on, you know, potentially licensing third party content. And so a lot of people are saying, I have all of those, you know, amazing library movies or TV series, whatever documentaries. I don't know what to do with those, right? And what's interesting about Fast is that for some of these guys who would have never gone the subscription D2C route, it feels approachable to get into Fast. Yeah, I suppose that, you know, if you launch your own SVOD platform, it's it's a big investment because it's your platform and you have to manage it and you have to market it and you have to hire like a bunch of people with, with very specific skills because managing, managing an SVOD platform is, is no joke at all. On the other hand, we distribute our channels into someone else's platform. And so it's, you know, it's the Pluto and it's the Samsung TV and it's the Vizio and it's the Rakuten that they have to constantly, you know, upgrade and manage and market and make sure that it's that their platform is compliant. All that part of the business, we don't do. Our part of the business is what we probably know how to do best, which is using our editorial talent to create very good and very credible linear channels and and then eventually distribute these linear channels onto uh, someone else's platform. So, so it sounds like there's two, two relatively low barriers to entry there in, in the sense of one, there's the, the, there's, the, there's the content that works in a, in a fast world that you don't have to be thinking about spending huge sums of money like the subscription streaming platforms. And then the second is, is almost from a technical standpoint, you, you don't necessarily have to spend a huge amount of money setting up your own platform when you have this flexible sort of relationship in terms of monetizing content that's distributed by third party. Just touching on the, the getting it to the platform point, I think, Valeria, you mentioned a few of the ways that companies work with intermediaries in the technology space to to distribute their channels, so companies like Amagi and so on. Would you be able to give us a, a quick overview of, I've got a bunch of content, how do I actually get it to a Samsung TV Plus or a, or a Pluto TV? What's the process there? So. Assuming that the Samsung or the Pluto will actually want your content, from a perspective of somebody that owns content, a good quality content, then the steps are reasonably simple. So you need to find a, a tech a tech provider. As I said, there are a bunch very famous in this in this in this space are you know Amagi, Frequency World, Otter, and there are many others. Many are coming, and and they will provide for you. For example, a scheduling tool, which is something that you need to create the, the channel. They will, they will provide you with a, with a playout. They will provide you with the distribution capabilities. And most importantly, if you go with a, an operator, a tech, a tech partner that is already, that has a consolidated position in the market, they will already have the right uh, technical connection with all the platforms. And therefore, there will not need to be any uh, tech development to connect uh, your channel onto the platforms. So it, it's okay. It's, it's maybe a little bit more difficult than that, but uh, in theory, these are, you know, these are all, all the services that you need. Now it's a completely different conversation is whether or not a platform will want your channel. 
And that is something that you will have to do yourself. You, you cannot expect the, the tech providers to do that for you. Yeah, that makes sense. So just thinking about the, the, the platforms that let's imagine you've got a, a bunch of attractive content now, the platforms that you might want to target. I, I mean, Dan, I think your, some of your research touched on this. What are the, what are the largest services out there who, the, who are being used the most by consumers? So again, our research was focused specifically on the, the US market, but as it's by far the largest fast market in the world, it's a good starting point. And we found the, the five largest platforms that are attracting the most viewers were Pluto, Roku, Tubi, Peacock, and, and Amazon Freebie. And out of those, we found that Tubi attracts the largest proportion of consumers to its whole platform. So it, as an ad-funded service to its combined AVOD and fast features, but Pluto attracts more to specifically to its fast channels. So we think that's largely in part to Tubi's impressive on-demand catalog. You know, they're approaching 50,000 unique titles. And in the, in the AVOD competitor list, um, they have some of the highest crit- average critical rating. So good quality content, a large catalog drives people towards Tubi's AVOD offer. What do you see, um, Marion and Valerio, when you're talking to the platforms? I mean, I'm guessing Samsung is a big one for you, but presumably also Pluto and Roku, I would guess. Again, it depends on where, right? So the big guy in the US is, is actually Roku with, you know, they are not breaking down US versus international, but out of their 73 million active accounts, you know, a big, big portion is actually coming from the US. In Europe, again, so Samsung is there, Roku isn't, Freevee is only in the UK and, and Germany. Pluto has been one of the most active. So these guys are, you know, really coming at the top, except one of the reasons why Fast grew so well in the US was thanks to the connected TV ecosystem, the cord cutting effect, the fact that, you know, cable is, you know, bleeding subs every, every year. It's a different story here. Pay TV has been more resilient, but we're actually hearing, you know, within the region, folks saying that they're seeing bigger numbers from some traditional players in the space. And last month, Virgin Media launched in the UK. You know, in Germany, you have folks like Deutsche Telekom partnering with Pluto. And these guys, they've been in the market for much longer and they have an active base. And the one thing that they have that perhaps maybe the Samsung and others do not have is that they have 20 years of experience at driving people to content. Because let's be clear, for Samsung, historically, the business was hardware. They need to shift the mentality to a platform business. And it's not easy to, when you sell a TV to someone, that's the extent of the relationship you have. They've paid for it. You don't have that proximity in the relationship to say, hey, guys, look at all of those cool things, right? Whereas telecom operators... There's this, you know, close and regular relationship, and they're here to say, this is what you can see, right? There's traditional TV, there's SVOD, there's FAST. So I think in Europe, it's going to look quite different versus the, the, the US. So Valeria, from your perspective, how, how, how interesting or exciting is the presence of local broadcaster-led players or pay TV operators? So, I mean, ITVX has some FAST channels now. As, as Marion's just mentioned, Virgin Media is looking at it. I imagine we'll see a lot more of these over the next year or so. Is, is that a big opportunity from, from Fremantle's perspective or if you were any other uh, content distributor? It's definitely an interesting opportunity. As a matter of fact, we are partnering with, with Virgin Media on this. One of our channel, uh, actually the Baywatch channel, is, is part of this, this project. You can't exactly define after one month from launch, right? You know, it, it's unfair. And therefore, it is interesting. What's interesting at the moment is 
that every single broadcaster and in Europe, in Australia, you know, in, in the Middle East, and in so, you know, in, in, a, in so many countries, traditional broadcasters are embracing fast. And this is, I think, right now, what is the most important. That fast is, it's, it's basically becoming a, a, a critical part of the business of, of traditional broadcasters. I imagine if you're a broadcaster producer, there are economies related to the existing business that you have. You already have content. You've already got the ad sales team. Uh, why not monetize it? You know, there are very few additional costs, I would imagine. So I'm conscious we're, we're coming to our time on the podcast today. So I wanted to ask a few sort of future gazing questions. One of those is really about where next are fast. Where, where are the high growth markets of the future? Obviously, the US has been the, the powerhouse over the last year or two for, for fast. We're beginning to see some really interesting moves in Europe. Is it, is it going to be Europe and the US driving growth over the next few years? Are there other territories internationally, Asia, Latin America, that are exciting for you all? Where's the demand from your side, for instance, Valerio? We have a very positive outlook for Europe. So from what we're seeing, I think, as you correctly said, U.S. is huge and it's the powerhouse. But outside of the U.S., I do think that is going to be is going to be Europe. Especially, I would say U.K. is the market that I believe is going to be the second largest fast market in the world outside of of the U.S. At least in in the next few years. Germany, we have great expectation for Germany. We have great expectation for Canada. Very positive outlook for Australia. Very interesting to see what's going to happen in Italy and Spain. So I reckon these are, you know, these are the markets. We, I think in terms of consumptions, consumption of, of the content, LATAM, so therefore, you know, Mexico and, and, and Brazil, I do believe they have a huge potential uh, in terms of consumption. But I think they still have a, a little bit of work to do in terms of monetization. So in other words, they need to have a higher fill rate on the channels and a higher CPM. And then again, new markets are, are popping up every other month. I, I do hear, I do talk to a lot of people in markets that, to be honest, I wasn't fully aware that, that they existed. And now I do realize that, you know, they are, you know, growing, they're investing in it. And, and what about from your perspective, Marion? Where's, where, where are you seeing the future demand? Yeah, it's similar to, to Valerio. So at the top, English speaking markets, for sure, again, because very often you need US companies to, to, to make the market. I don't think we can catch up to the, to the US, but you know, who knows? In Europe, definitely Germany. But again, we need more platforms to start, you know, fast channels. We need, you know, more premium brands. You know, we need to raise consumer awareness. I think we need to do a better job at marketing as well. I think we were talking about sports and if sports is attractive, it's going to be, you know, mostly through the live component of it. But then how do you attract people, you know, and turn this lean back TV into appointment TV? So there's a lot of things that we need to figure out is how to move audiences, you know, to, to, to the right spots. Will we be able to move audiences from the connected TV to also the mobile and the web ecosystem? You know, Samsung has millions and millions uh, of phones, you know, so what's happening on Samsung TV plus the mobile version, for example. Yeah, I think we have a lot of work to do. And one of the biggest challenge that we have, I think, is discoverability. And if we don't fix that, you know, at the platform level, facilitate discovery, make maybe the UI and UX, you know, more personalized, 
it's going to get tricky for everyone to stay within this business huh? and we'll end up with maybe 20 channels making the bulk of, of the revenues. So last but not least, I think, I think Marion, you've, you've already touched on a few of the challenges for, for the fast market over the next few years and some possible solutions or ways in which the industry can think about addressing them. What are the challenges you'd like to see the industry sort of deal with as a whole? Perhaps I could, I could start with you on that one and then maybe I'll turn to Dan. So on top of the ones that Marion mentioned, I think the monetization ecosystem, we need to look at it right now. There, how can I say, between the ad dollars of the media agencies and the brand and the content owner and therefore the people who create the fast channels, there are so many different players in that ecosystem. And I think there are too many people between the ad dollars and, and the fast channels. You know, I can mention a few ones. There are the, the DSPs and the SSPs and the ad servers and SSIs, and, you know, I could continue. And each of those services, they do demand to get paid. And I think that part of the business somehow needs to be looked at carefully. And I do, I do believe that the owner of the content should get the lion's share of the revenues that are generated within the channel. I was going to say, I remember seeing a classic sort of waterfall diagram here where you start with $1 going in in terms of ad spend. And then by the time it reached the content provider, 50% of it had disappeared into the various intermediaries. It sounds like that's still the case. Yeah, it, it, is, it is the case. And uh, yeah, so I think we, we need somehow to fix that. Just on the, the monetization aspect from the consumer's perspective, one thing we looked into was advertising perceptions from the consumer across various different types of service. And that was across four areas of, of the ad experience, covering the length of advert breaks, the relevance of products being shown, the quality of the adverts themselves, and also the variety of adverts shown. And it, with a particular focus on comparing the fast ad experience with the broadcast TV experience. And we found that the length of ad breaks was a clear winner for fast. So ad length Fantastic. Across the three other areas, there is room for improvement. So on the relevance of products, it was kind of roughly on par with broadcast TV in terms of how positively that was perceived. Which, which is actually a surprise, I'd imagine, because given, given in theory, a lot of the ads could be targeted on many well, fast that, platforms. That's it. So we, we, we found that it's maybe marginally ahead of broadcast TV, but certainly work to do given that, as you say, that is a distinct possibility to have that far more targeted and relevant to the user. And across the production quality and the variety of adverts, broadcast TV comes out on top there. So yeah, I think fast platforms in terms of how they're showing adverts and what types of adverts they're showing and the variety of those adverts, there's certainly work to be done there from the consumer's perspective. So, so we've got a whole range of obstacles to overcome over the next few years in terms of both distribution, monetization, I guess the experience from a, from a consumer perspective. That's all we have time for. Thank you very much to all our guests today for their time and for sharing their insights with us. We've heard from Valerio, Marion and Dan about the fast market, about how the industry is structured, some of the key platforms that consumers are using, how content creators and producers and distributors should be thinking about using fast and the sorts of content that works well, and how to monetize that in different geographies around the world. If you haven't already done so, please make sure you're subscribed to the AMP podcast as well as our weekly newsletter. And for more on Ampere's research and services, head to ampereanalysis.com or get in touch by emailing info at ampereanalysis.com. That's info at ampereanalysis.com. I'm Richard Broughton, and I've been your host for today. And the producer of this episode was Rory Goodrick. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you very much for listening.